welcome to season two of the Lawyer Life Podcast. Each week, we discuss a topic to help ourselves, other lawyers, and law students navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. On today's episode, we start our new season back to school with our guest, Dean Adam Dodick. We ask ourselves, what are the keys to academic fulfillment at law school? I'm Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. Season two, Darlene. What's up? <laughs> Have you been practicing that? No, I just, I, it just came to me oh, organically. Wow. Very impressive. Mm-hmm. This is my third attempt at recording the intro this morning because we're a bit out of practice and the script is slightly changed and that threw little Mike for a loop. It ended up okay though. You got it. You got it done. We did it. Uh, what did you do while we were gone? We had a few weeks off. A few weeks off from podcasting, but uh, not a few weeks off for me. I've been kind of just getting through the summer. I always have, what I've tried to do this summer is just make the days a little bit more, uh, a little shorter, and then try to build in personal time at the end of the day with my kids, picking them up earlier, sort of experimenting with schedules that might work into the fall. Anyway, it's been interesting and it's such a beautiful summer and there's, there's, the day is just longer. So I've been, I've been really enjoying it and building out our team, doing some work on the business model. Some might think you should relax in the summer, but I don't know. I get energized in the summer. Okay. How about you? Um, I had a week long vacation, which is quite nice just after my best friend got married. Uh, so that was a neat, like week and a half ish sort of thing. I emceed, uh, the wedding and was the best man. So a bit of stress, uh, leading up to that, because I love the couple so much, I didn't want to disappoint them. And uh, there was a half UK, half Canadian audience, so you know I really had to go international with my jokes. Feel right. like <laughs> right. I feel like it went okay. Uh, and then the vacation was nice. Uh, we were up uh, on Lake Huron, uh, which is so gorgeous, uh, and the weather was pretty good, and it was, it was um, overall very refreshing. So we're starting season two, back to school, and our goal here is to help out students that in the in the next few weeks uh, are heading to law school or heading back to law school? I think as it's become clear through the podcast and the people that we get to interact with as a result of this podcast, that there is a little bit of a, a need to bring this message to people earlier in the career. I think that mm-hmm. what we've kind of noticed is these patterns start sometimes before law school and then they get just totally, um, what's the word? Uh, jammed into people's brains <laughs> I don't well, know. and amplified too, amplified, right? like, imprinted. Yes. Um, yeah. in law school. And so what we wanted to do was just create a spot where people could listen to some advice. Uh, you don't necessarily have to go seek it out by scheduling office hours or whatever. Um, but you get some real wisdom from some people that we've encountered during our careers that, uh, look at things a bit differently and can take you a little bit out of that that uh, echo chamber that you're about to enter into, um, or we could maybe release some uh, post-traumatic stress that our listeners who are already practicing and are leaving law school behind might have from those days. So much of it is applicable to practice in general, but there, it, I, I, I take a note really well about starting things off well, hey, law students, if, you, if you're able to build good habits now, that's going to serve you so well in the future. And there's some great advice that we haven't in this episode and upcoming episodes about what habits are positive. And there's one, speaking of habits, uh, I was listening to a uh, podcast, one of my favorite podcasts, 
armchair expert with Dax Shepard, which mm-hmm. is a very, it, it surprised me. I didn't think I would like it as much as I do, but I really like it. He yeah. interviewed um, a professor named Tal Ben-Shahar, um, who specializes in happiness. And, and I'm getting to habits. The pr- professor in his classes asks students often, like, who did their um, New Year's resolution? You know, Every single one for the past five years, no one ever puts their hand up. He says, who brushed their teeth this morning? Everybody puts their hand up. Because there's a habit you build of brushing your teeth. It's a small habit, but you do it and you don't have to think about it. So the point being, that if you're able to pull a few habits from these episodes when they become automatic for you, that is going to serve you so well, not only in law school, but for your career after. So here's hoping we can provide you a few habits, a few points of guidance that you can um, take along. Uh, Yes, there's my little habit rant. I love habits. Well said. We love habits and rants a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) What would a podcast be without rants? So we're, we're going to get to the interview in a second. Uh, our interview, is, as we said, is with Dean Adam Dodak. He is the dean of the common law section at the University of Ottawa's Faculty of Law, graduate of McGill and Harvard Law School. He was a Fulbright scholar. Uh, clerked all over the place, Supreme Court of Israel, U.S. Court of Appeals on the Ninth Circuit in Pasadena, and the Supreme Court of Canada under Justice Lura Dubay. Uh, he practiced public law, served as the chief of staff to Ontario's attorney general, Eventually became a professor at the University of Ottawa Common Law Faculty in 2008. He's been recognized uh, in a bunch of ways. He won the Capital Educators Award in 2012, top 25 individual lawyers by Canadian Lawyer Magazine in the Changemakers category, and he received the Law Society Medal for Outstanding Service to the Legal Profession. I'm running out of breath. This man is too accomplished. Um, and now he serves as uh, the University of Ottawa's Dean of Common Law, as we said. I'm an alumni. He was a professor when I was there. I know that him being dean makes very many people very happy, including myself. Um, and he has some great thoughts on this episode. Um, I didn't really have any interaction with deans prior to law school. And I think that the thing to know about the dean of a law school is they do really set the tone. You know, Their priorities become the school's priorities. If they are very focused on one thing, that is sort of how you internalize what law school is about. So I would say it's really refreshing when we were talking to him. Um, for me, it was refreshing to hear how progressive some of his thinking was and how sympathetic to the the plight of what law schools are grappling with he was. And I don't remember that from my own law school experience. So I think he's a bit special in that regard. Um, that was that was my main takeaway. How about you? Yeah, I mean... Um... He talks about how law school is a bubble and how to avoid that. He gives some study tips. And he really, you're like, I think one of his best messages is like, trust yourself. It's really hard to get into law school generally. Uh, The skills you built as you got there are the skills you need to continue to leverage. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I think it's great. And I remember going to law school. I had no lawyers in my family uh, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I, I, for a while, I felt like I was just trying to figure things out instead of just trusting uh, myself. And so I think that's great advice. And and Darlene, when you went to law school, um, dinosaurs were roaming the earth, I think. <laughs> so I don't know yep. what it was like for you then. Yeah. In a while. Yes, when yeah. you say it that way. I mean, much has remained the same <laughs> in legal education. Yeah. Um, so with that, why don't we go to our interview with Dean Adam Dodek? Sounds good. Welcome. Thanks very much, Mike. Thanks, Darlene. It's great to be here. Thanks for popping on. 
it's uh it's rare that we get uh you know a, a dean on the podcast you're the first dean on our podcast i will say that so it's extremely rare <laughs> um <laughs> And um, we're, we're very grateful. You uh, obviously have been a law student. You have been a professor. Now you're, uh, you know, running the common law faculty. So from all those three perspectives, I think we're really grateful to be able to pass along some lessons to law students uh, uh, today. So first, you know, taking a step back, you know, we just talked about young Mike and young Darlene. What was it like for young Adam entering law school? Well, you know, if if Darlene was talking about when dinosaurs roamed the earth, I'm not sure what the analogy would be for me. But uh, I actually remember the beginning of law school, which for me was the fall of 1992, so clearly. I was coming from McGill to Harvard Law School. I felt like, uh, how how am I going to compete with these people? I've succeeded all my life, but now I'm in a whole new at a whole new level. They know all these things. They have all these preparation that I don't have. So I was full of self-doubt and uh, lack of self-confidence. It seems like a strange thing to be full of or to lack self-confidence with that pedigree, but I, I completely understand. How did you get over it? Did it happen quickly or did it take a while? It took a while. I think the first semester was really tough for me. Um, and we had we had exams in January, uh, which was sort of cruel and unusual punishment, uh, I would say. And so I didn't go home for Christmas. I was studying. I had real problems sleeping stuff now that that I didn't recognize at the time, you know, 25, 30 years ago. But now we would clearly like these are signs of stress, mental health issues, etc. Um, so. I did okay in first year, but really it, first year was a huge period of adjustment for me. And it wasn't only, it wasn't until second year that I really started to started to figure things out and do well in law school. So it was a big period of adjustment for me in first year. I remember being in first year and, and feeling similar things. And I going into law school, I didn't understand, I think, what stress really was. I thought stress was like when you're like in a high... Uh, you know, pressure moment, and you're not necessarily acting right or feeling right. And I didn't really appreciate like the underlying day to day effects and impacts of stress, un uh, un unfortunately. Uh, and it's something that I did come to learn in law school. I understand now that maybe your perspective is different at law schools and law schools are starting to, to help um, students with that. But was there a void when you were studying? Do you think that you were given support in that way? Uh, there was absolutely a void. I mean, nobody talked about mental health issues. Nobody really talked about stress. There was still this macho um, vision of the uh, of the legal profession and of law school of, you know, pulling all nighters of caffeine of other things, you know, of overstudying and uh, and that really carried over into the legal profession. And if you were if you admitted that you were stressed, then you were. Uh, you were weak. You couldn't cut it. And I think that's that's changed a lot for the better. So what was the most surprising thing or your biggest misconception, uh, you know, as a law student? Um, my biggest misconception? Well, if you if you remember the the talk that I gave, you know, during orientation where I brought out all of these T-shirts of clubs that I had joined and uh, like the international 
International Law Society, Sports and Entertainment. Uh, my wife has made me throw away those T-shirts, by the way. <laughs> but Oh, no. Uh, they weren't in good shape when I pulled them out in 2008 or 2009. They're, they certainly weren't after that. But um, I, you know, like yourself, I had no lawyers in the family. I knew very little about what law was. There's a difference between what you see as law on TV and what the practice of law is or different, uh, different areas. So for me, law school was very much... Um, a, a period of discovery, discovery of the law, discovery about, you know, myself, self-discovery of what I was interested in. Um, I, f- for about a year in law school, I was interested in being a corporate lawyer. I'd applied for a summer job with the Ontario Securities Commission, which I didn't get. And then I took securities regulation in the, uh, the fall semester of my second year. Um, was absolutely ecstatic to get a B minus in that course. And that was the end of my corporate law career. So I, I learned a lot about myself and learned a lot about the law. And that really started a period of, of self-discovery for a number of years, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And when did that or has that ended? Like, I, <laughs> you know, I know that uh, it's, it's diff- some people going to law school, uh, and I think fortunate in this way, uh, you know, knowing exactly what they want to do. We've spoken in the past actually about um, uh, a friend of mine at Uottawa. She knew she wanted to be a refugee lawyer from the day she stepped into the faculty, you know, first day of first year. Many, many folks don't necessarily have that clarity. And so what would you say to somebody who's going to law school kind of to build that toolkit, um, but doesn't necessarily know where they want to end up? I would say be open to opportunities. I mean, for me, I think now I do know finally at, you know, at uh, age 49, do know what I want to do with my career and what I want to do with law. And that's really to, to be a professor and to be an academic. But for me, it took, you know, I spent the first 10 or 15 years of my uh, career post-law school trying to figure out what country I wanted to live in, what sort of law I wanted to practice. And for me, the big question was, do I want to be a lawyer who does some teaching or a teacher who does some lawyering? And for me, that didn't really resolve itself until I got hired at Ottawa U in, uh, in 2008. And then, you know, a year in realized like, this is my passion. This is what I want to do. So for, you know, to students, to aspiring lawyers or to, to law students who may end up not practicing law, uh, be open to, to opportunities and try different things. And it's okay to, you know, when I hear about people who have done an internship or taken a course and realize like, wow, this is not for me. I think that that's a valuable experience to learn what you're not interested in. It's much better to, to figure that out in a course or in a summer than uh, to take take a job at a firm or in an area that you end up hating for, for two, three years. Mm-hmm. That's very good advice. One thing that we were, I wonder about a lot is that we we aren't at law school today. And there's a, there's much talk about the pressure. Obviously, we've already talked about it even on this podcast. Um, like, do you look at the students coming in and think that you wish they wouldn't put so much pressure on themselves? Or do you think that that's a necessity at this time, or, or maybe just a feature of law school? I think about that a lot. And I think about that more and more. And it's, you know, I, I absolutely wish that they wouldn't put as much pressure on themselves and each other as they do. Part of it is how law school is set up, the competitive environment of law school. 
part of it is cultural is the, the, the pressure that, um, students put on each other and put and put on themselves. I think there's also, unfortunately in law school, you know, law school is an enclosed environment. There's a lack of perspective. And often, you know, in your, in your intro, you talked about student satisfaction or lawyer satisfaction. People find fulfillment and satisfaction through different areas. It may be in the classroom, maybe outside the classroom, it may be outside the law school. And it's trying to, to find that and, and find that area of your life or of your practice that is going to bring fulfillment and satisfaction. And hopefully that will help remove stress from other areas. If you're so focused on, you know, I have to get a high grade in this class and this class and this class, um, rather than certainly working on something that may bring you fulfillment and satisfaction and probably help in career development. We have a much, much broader view of what it means to be a professional of contributions um, to, you know, to a law firm, to a legal practice, to a non-legal practice, that many things that people pursue outside of the classroom, outside of the law school, whether that's sports, dance, uh, creative things, group things, um, are things that are going to be valued in professional development down the road. That's such an interesting and important point. And one thing that I do remember very clearly from first year was um, I had a roommate who was more into the social elements of the school. I had arrived thinking, all I'm going to do is study. That's it. I'm never leaving my room. I'm only going to study. But I had the good fortune to uh, be placed with a with a person who's still my very good friend. Um, and she encouraged me to be on the football team, the touch football team and the hockey team and, you know, to organize law games and to do all kinds of different things that um, I probably wouldn't have done, but for her encouragement. And those are the things actually that really got me to know all the different people at law school and hear more stories about, you know, different people's experiences. And for me, that ended up being a really important part of law school, but it was not something that I thought made good sense at the time. I thought that the better use of my time was, was studying. Did you have anything like that, Mike? We had a very good indoor soccer team, <laughs> which I by no means was uh, that big of a contributor to. But it was, it, 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 I think, similar to what Dean Dodek is saying and Darlene, what you're saying. It, it's a great stress reliever. It's a good way to build camaraderie. It's a great way to be outside of you know the law building or the library and, 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 a, and an opportunity to have those more kind of check-ins and informal conversations with one another and um, to not necessarily compete. Uh, you know, against one another, but to compete together. And, you know, there's, there's a number of ways to get involved um, and, and to balance your life, uh, I think, as a law student. Well, and I remember, too, interacting more with the upper years as a result of those experiences, right? In a way that maybe, because I think to, to Dean Dodek's point, like first year can be very insular with the group, you know, the study groups and the, the sort of, I don't know if that's a, a big thing at all law schools. That was a fairly big thing at U of T. Um, and that can be very insulating. And those in first year, you don't have the perspective. Whereas some of the people that I would interact from the upper years would say, listen, don't worry about it. Just do this, <laughs> which was very helpful. 
Um, so yeah, I think that that was something I didn't, I wouldn't have said was a benefit. I would have thought it was that those were free time or hobbies or sorts of things, but they were actually very, very helpful career-wise as well. I think they're, they're more in, even more important today than they were when either of you, and certainly when I was in law school. Um, and I'll tell you why I, I think that. I think that when when I graduated law school and and probably when you graduated as well, Darlene, if you were smart and worked hard and did well, that was enough for a guarantee for success. Certainly when I look at people who you know graduated 20 years ago, et cetera, you know, got a job at a good firm, you could make partner, et cetera. Um, it's not enough anymore. Maybe if you, you go into the public sector and you work in government, but certainly anything in the non-for-profit business, private law firm, um, it's just not enough just to be smart and work hard. You have to have something more. You, you have to have something entrepreneurial and that's not just entrepreneurial, not just money-making, but entrepreneurial in being uh, creative in investing in yourself, in developing sort of new ideas in the same way, obviously, the, that you have in, uh, in your law firm and attracting people with, with different interests. And so when I see students who are organizing um, a charity run for cancer or a common law, civil law, hockey game uh, for do it for Darren for, uh, uh, for mental health. I, I know, I can see that those students will succeed in whatever they choose to do because they're able to think outside the box. They're able to organize. They're able to work with, uh, work with their colleagues, work in a team. And I don't have to look at their transcript. To me, their transcript doesn't matter. I don't care if they're an A student, a B student, a C student. I would bet on them that they will succeed. And when I see graduates 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, who are succeeding now, it's because they've got, it's something more than just they did well in, in law school. Um, they've got additional qualities or experiences that have allowed them to, uh, to succeed. I'm definitely seeing that. I mean, even um, we did an episode on the challenges for millennials coming up and the pressure that they grow up with um, to be everywhere at all times and do everything perfectly and, and that kind of thing. Um, but what I've, I've noticed since doing that episode, just having my eyes open to it a little bit, is that it is really possible um, to be coming up now and be building a brand for yourself all the way through law school. Um it, and maybe making your grades less relevant, I think, is is kind of what you're you're drawing attention to. Is that we, when we all arrive at law school, we know we work hard and can get good grades, and then law school is just an additional layer of that. Um, but to be able to carve out a niche for yourself is really the future challenge, right? Like I think you're describing almost like initiative and and figuring out where you fit, and that's like the biggest. I think that's the hardest thing, actually. That's, that's what I found to be the hardest. And I'm still kind of, you know, on the journey of figuring that out today. I think that's exactly, that's exactly right. Like you've, you've characterized it in exactly the right. It's initiative, mm -hmm. whatever that is. That's what I look for. I mean, I think that's what clients need. Because the truth is that in our practice anyway, we're more often just presented with a problem to solve, you know, or 
there's no, there's no map. You kind of have to just figure it out. And I think that, um, I mean, there's a little bit of a map in that you check the law, but sometimes that's not the full story. There's a lot more to it, um, to a successful negotiation or successful um, outcome. And I think that some of that stuff we didn't learn as much in law school. And so the, the raw materials that you're developing in your, in your person, I guess, become kind of the product later. So I think that's very important to hear the dean say that, you know, I just have a funny story about the dean. When I went to the U of T uh, barbecue, we have, do you guys have a dean's barbecue? Is that what you do as a welcome or something like that? Yeah, we have, we have a dean's barbecue uh, at orientation and we've got, uh, we now have a reception uh, at the Supreme Court of Canada uh, because we're in Ottawa. Well, I went to I went to the Dean's barbecue knowing about Dean's, but we had a very young-looking Dean at the time. His name was Dean Ron Daniels. And I met him at the barbecue in the line or standing near the barbecue, I guess. And he said, "Hi, I'm Dean Daniels." And I thought, that's weird that he introduces himself with his full name. <laughs> <laughs> thought he was a fellow student and I thought because he's so young looking like I never would have thought that he was uh he was he was about 34 34 or 35 when he became dean okay so he was very young then not it wasn't yeah he might not have been 40 when you met him wow anyway I remember being so I'm like oh okay where did you go to school and he's like oh well you know and he gave me a long history and I'm like this is this conversation is very strange anyway I recall thinking he was very approachable and it was a fun interaction in the end. But I remember walking away and being like, oh my God, that was not a shining moment. This is not a good sign of my future <laughs> prospects here at UOT Law. But anyway, I think it's great that you're articulating that balance is is good because it does come from the top. You know, like what the dean says does, in, I think, influence culture, fair to say, at the school. I mean, that's kind of a piece of what you're you're doing there. So that, that's great. What do you think the top, if you were to, Mike's big on summaries, so I'm going to, I'm going to enter into his domain for a second, but if you had three top practices that would help students most in first year, what do you, what do you think they are? I think maybe we've, we've come up with one, which is try to find some extracurricular things that make sense for you. Are there others? Yeah. Friends outside the law school. Uh, you made me think about um, how I, how I was able to maintain, you know, a sense of stability and perspective in, even in the difficulties of first year, I was really lucky that I had uh, friends from McGill who were in Boston studying, uh, studying other things, studying social work, studying optometry, studying dentistry. And I would go out with them, you know, go out for dinner, go, um, go see a baseball game and hear about what they were doing. And it just, uh, I didn't, I think appreciated at the time, but that perspective really, you know, reduced my stress. And by having positive relationships with, uh, with people outside the law school gives you a sense of, of perspective. So that's even, you know, a step beyond, um, uh, the extracurricular activities. The, you know, I've got a, a student who I, a former student graduate who, uh, who I just saw on the weekend at a wedding and, she lives in, in Toronto and she, you know, she's always on to me about like self-care and taking care of myself and whether that's 
uh, healthy eating, exercise, vacation. She was very proud of me that I was taking vacation and the and what that um, the message that that gives to uh, to my faculty, to staff, to students. So the importance of taking a break, we we tend to to think more is better, whether that's billable hours, whether that's studying, etc. But we know that studying smart or working smart is often better than, you know, working, uh, pulling an all nighter or, or um, you know, or, or working 18 hours straight. So it's taking those breaks for, uh, you know, to see a friend or to go to a movie or to, uh, to go out for coffee, et cetera. And that will, um, you know, I think that will allow students to do better uh, and be more focused in, in studying. That's great advice. And it's, I know that you're a big baseball fan and, um, I'm a big baseball fan as well and, and doing a lot of reading and listening about high performance in that space. And it feels, feels like so much, you know, of how advanced things are on the sports side. We can bring so much of it into actually our, our own lives. Sleep is important. Drinking water is important. Eating healthy is important. Like these kind of simple baseline things that are really easy to forget when you're in a new environment, um, that, that can cause you to, uh, be stressed and, lose some perspective. Um, so those are great tips. Is there as well, you know, to get to the real nitty gritty, you know, you've, you've obviously been a professor. Is there something that a first year student, um, should focus on practicing that they might not, um, know about? Is there a way to really understand a case well, or to, you know, participate in class this way? Like, what is it? What is sometimes when you look at a student in a classroom, how do you know, Oh, that, that person, that person's got it. That person's going to be good. What, what do they do in that class? Well, sometimes, you know, this just sort of hit on me in, in, or dawned on me a couple of years ago in teaching where I asked a question and I had something um, in mind as to what the answer <laughs> was. And a student gave another answer that, and I realized I said to, I said to him or I said to her, your answer is better than my question. And so I think it is that willing to participate. I think at most schools we're we're beyond the uh, the paper chase era of professors embarrassing students in class. And I want students to participate because I think students learn a lot from each other. I think sometimes students are really hard on each other. Um, I get course evaluations uh, almost every year that say. You let the other students talk too much. You're the expert. We want to hear from you. That very like old school, conservative, didactic approach of sage on the stage. Uh, you're the expert. You tell us what the law is. Whereas re- in reality, it's much more a dynamic process. And it's much more interesting to learn from your peers. And that can only happen when students are willing to participate and to take a chance. I was really shy and nervous in, in law school. I was afraid. I didn't know I was going to, if I was going to say the wrong thing, I was in huge classes. And so I understand what it's like to, you know, to be in a large class and be uh, afraid to participate. And so the advice that I would give is prepare to participate. Think about say, okay, well, I'm going to participate in this class. I'm really going to study. I'm going to find one thing interesting to say about this case or about this subject, and I'm going to volunteer, and and Thursday is the day that I'm going to do that. I'm going to psych myself up to do that. Uh, and I think professors really want 
and want to encourage that because otherwise in a class of 70, you're going to end up having a conversation with seven to 15 people. If you're lucky, it'll be 15 people who volunteer day in, day out, more likely it'll be under 10. And that is um, not ideal. So by, you know, participating will force you to, to increase your comfort zone, will enrich the class for everyone, and will be really appreciated, I think, by most professors. On this uh, podcast, we talk a lot about freedom to fail and that it's okay to make a mistake or fail, that nobody is a, nobody's perfect. There is no low law robot out there that hits it 100% all the time. So in that way, could you, is there reassurance that a student could have, you know, even if they put up their hand and swing for the fences and miss? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, just sort of move on right away or say, you know, that that's interesting. Uh, You know, I never want to embarrass a student. I've had students come up to me afterwards and say, you know, why didn't you just tell me I got it totally wrong? Mm -hmm. Uh, I realize now after that was stupid, etc. I'm like, that's not what it's about. Like, for me, it's much more about the journey than the end result. Law school is, is, we talk about lifelong learning. And law school is just the, the first three years of a very long process of sustained inquiry and learning over the course of a career. And so, of course, students are going to make mistakes. It's not about acquiring a specific amount of knowledge. It's much more about the tools. It's about uh, the problem-solving skills. It's about legal analysis. It's about research, writing, communication. And those are things that you can only develop through practice and through trial and error. So it is, for me, it's much more about the journey than the specific question or the answer to a particular question. One thing I found really helpful as a, as a practical thing, and I don't know if you would still recommend this, but um, I, in second year, one of the profs uh, told me, why don't you go and do a couple of practice exams from previous years and then bring them to me and I'll, I'll tell you if you're off base. And that was the best strategy for me for law school. Do people still do that? Is that a relic of the past? I think, so. I think that's great advice. I mean, I always, um, I always post uh, previous exams in courses, post it on you know whatever the the website is, as well as you know in the library. I've got marking keys. Uh, we go over practice exams in class. You know, the the best practice is you know is going over those practice exams, and also I would say um, in in practicing in exam environments. Uh, so if you're a night person and you, and as I was, and you tend to stay up till, you know, one or two in the morning studying, well, if you're writing your exam at nine 30 in the morning and you usually don't get up till 10, like you need to practice writing at the time of day that you are going to be writing the exam. Right. And during, and the length of time, if you've got a, a three-hour exam, at some point, you need to sit down, do a full practice exam for three hours from 9.30 to 12.30 or from 1 to 4. Because um, we know now with, uh, you know, uh, Mike was talking about the science of of high-performance athletes. We know now with neurobiology, we know about, you know, biochemistry, that our bodies and our brains work differently at different times of the day. And so we need to, to start practicing and training our body and our, our brain 
for that exam at, at under exam conditions. And I think often um, when I see I see students um, struggle on an exam, you know, when I'm writing reading the exam, I can tell the sorts of problems that they've had, and they've often the biggest problem is they've run out of time or they haven't budgeted their time right, and maybe that's because they're they were they hadn't they weren't used to writing an exam in the morning or the afternoon. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different reasons, but um, you know, you, Darlene, you started you kicked it off by saying the practice exam, and I would just push that even further: the practice exam practicing it under exam conditions. Right. I think that's great advice. I did that for the LSAT. I remember for like a couple, I don't know, maybe like five weeks on a Saturday at nine in the morning, I went to some like empty lecture hall, which I don't know if you can even still do, sat in a weird small desk and wrote a practice exam. And then when I went to do the actual LSAT, I was like, okay, I've been here before. There's just more people now. I can do this and all under time conditions. And um, I don't, I wish that I had applied it in first year. I don't think I did that strategy in first year, which would have been wise. Um, But anyway, very helpful. That's the kind of stuff that I think that there are in first year, a lot of, um, I remember there was a big myth in my year that there was the summary that was floating around or every, every different school has a different word for it. But um, that's something that I felt a lot of pressure to get the best summaries so that I could get the best marks. And I don't know. I mean, the truth is what's worked for you up until that point shouldn't be thrown out either. That's yeah. I think that's really, really good advice. And that's advice that I would pass on to students. You're here for a reason. Like it's really hard to get into law school in this country. Right. And, um, you, you developed study skills that, enabled you to succeed and, you know, follow those skills, follow that, that practice. I know there's a, there's a heavy reliance on, on summaries to me on my exams. I'm always asking for a lot of analysis and I just worry about the over-reliance on summaries. To me there, when I was a student, there was always a value in putting together your own summary. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I live in the real world. I know that students don't always have the time to do that, but you can have the best summary in the world. But if I'm asking a question where I'm asking you to analyze something or identify things, um, and you're under time pressures, then just, uh, there, there's, there may be a false sense of security of relying on somebody else's work. And so I would just offer that as, as a caveat. I, I totally agree. And so if, for students going into first year, and we're talking about summaries, you'll know intimately what they are soon. <laughs> but, but basically, it's, you know, your aid during an open book exam, uh, you know, your notes that you would formalize or or borrow from somebody, I guess, if it's a borrowed summary, uh, summarizing basically what you've learned uh, for the year. I agree with the dean, make your own summary, because it will, what you need basically is an aid that will make sense to your brain. I remember I was hyper, hyper, um, uh, focused on on the format of mine. And the format of my summary looked completely different from everybody else, but it informed, I knew what to look for, for when and, and everything. So it's a great way to prepare for an exam. It's a great aid during the exam. I would I would say if you have the time, it's a it's a great thing to make your own summary as well. I, I completely agree with the Dean. Now we're, we're, we're closing a little bit here. Um, to take a step back at the highest level, Dean Dodek, what do you, what's the goal 
You know, if you were uh, now with everything you know, which is far more than you knew when you entered law school, what would your goal be going into law school as a student now? What would you hope to leave with that you didn't enter with? I think now, knowing what I know now, it would be um, first to get, you know, the building blocks to be a successful professional, probably a successful legal professional, but law is a building block to, to many different careers. So again, that means that's that's not necessarily the substantive courses, but that's that's research, writing, negotiation, um, problem solving, analysis, etc. And our schools are really good at that. But trying to make sure that you take courses that that you know allow you to build those building blocks, getting exposure to different areas of the law. Uh, one of my law school roommates uh, thought he was going to be a tax lawyer. And in his last year, he had signed up to take 10 tax courses, which you could do at Harvard Law School. And I said to him, well, maybe you should take a non-tax course. So take a course outside uh, or courses outside your comfort zone and explore different areas. Um, the other thing I would say, take a clinical course. Uh, for me, I mean, I, I took um, a clinical course on immigration law, worked at an immigration and refugee clinic. I did practice a very, very little bit of immigration and refugee law when, when I was at a big Bay Street firm, um, but I was never an immigration refugee lawyer. That experience of sitting across the table with a real person, uh, hearing about her, uh, her life and helping her solve, it's understates to say solve a problem, but, but deal with one of the most pressing issues in her life is something that is so vivid and played such an impact uh, on me, you know, 30 years later. So I think those are the, the three big pieces of advice as to what I would say to incoming law students uh, and have a life outside of the law school, as we've talked about. Great advice. Okay, so with that, we will take a break and we will be right back. The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Interalia Law. Interalia lawyers have big firm training, in-house experience, and a wide range of expertise in technology, media, and entertainment. Our advice is business-focused, speedy, and practical. To learn more, visit interalialaw.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. And we are back with our goods and gripes. Goods are things we want to promote and support. Gripes are things that annoy us. Uh, Darlene, do you have a good or a gripe? I have a good. I'm going to talk. I actually was um, in doing research for this episode. I was trying to learn a little bit about Dean Dodek. And I thought it was great because you posted on Twitter about the infamous cheesy. I had forgotten that those existed. And you had a tweet up there saying that there had been a fire at the cheesy factory, which is, I guess it's a Canadian snack. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? Who knew? I did not know that until I saw your tweet. Um, And I just had a flood of memories of like orange fingers as a kid. So uh, that was a good, I had totally forgotten that those existed, but I'm glad that they're safe from the fire. That's my good. And I don't have a gripe because it's summer in Canada and uh, that just makes most problems go away for us after the long winter, I find. Mike, maybe 
I have a good, and it's amazing. This is like a nostalgia episode appropriately. Uh, but one of my uh, favorite bands, Tegan and Sarah, Canadian out of Calgary, they have a new album that's being released in September. And this is so cool. Uh, they're, I think, in their early 40s, I want to guess. Um, they found an album that they recorded as teenagers in their like house in Calgary. Uh, that's just been sitting there, I think, in their in their parents' house for a while. And the new album they are recording as professional and well-known musicians is a re-recording of that teenage album. So they basically embrace their teenage selves. You can hear a little taste of it online of this very raw teenage type recording and this beautiful, professional, gorgeous song that they've now produced today. And I think it's kind of like a great love letter to their teenage selves and uh, a great, you know, they're still authentically who they are. And it's uh, it, it's kind of reminding me of this episode of, of looking back and kind of, you know, being proud of what you've accomplished and and who you've always been. So um, that's a good, and I can't wait to hear that album. Also cool that they put it out in both versions, because I think right now there is, um, everyone can put out music, but it is really neat to hear the original cut and then the final, because then it shows you, oh, that's why you get a producer and a mixer and a master, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And you are a professional musician for 20 years. Yes. uh, Learning the craft. Yeah, exactly. Dean Dodek, do you have a good or a grape? I think I have both. Like you've inspired me. My good is, you know, the opportunity to be outside uh, wherever you are in Canada or elsewhere, especially here in Canada after uh, a long, cold winter. So I'm really enjoying going for uh, long walks by the the Ottawa River and see all these people biking and, and running. Uh, so that's my good. My gripe is email. Um, I think that I, I still spend way too much time responding uh, to emails. I think we uh, technology is managing us much more than we're managing technology. So uh, my gripe is is email. That's a good very gripe. good one. I mean, that's a good takeaway for people entering the profession and people in the profession. I suppose what you're saying is talk to people. Uh, get in front of people, have conversations? Yeah, I mean, I was told that, um, you know, I was a generation that sort of started coming of age with email during university and certainly uh, during law school and afterwards. And one of the things that I was told my first year of practice was pick up the phone and talk to people. Uh, I think we waste, we, we still haven't figured out email etiquette or we waste way too much time on email. And if we just picked up the phone and said, hey, we could probably solve problems or deal with an issue and two, three minutes or five minutes rather than endless rounds of email. Millennials, of course, like don't use email or don't respond to email is my, is my experience, not with students or staff, but with my 17 year old son. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. He's texting you instead, right? Yeah. You got to text him. You got to text him to get a response. Email (laughs) is like, I don't know for him. Email is like, I think it's like, junk mail that I get in the, uh, like an ad for Harvey's or McDonald's or something that's in my post office box. Right. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, we just want to thank you so much for your time and for the for the information and guidance that you've provided. We, we, we're sure it will help folks that are currently in law school or just entering law school. So, uh, Dean, thanks so much for your time. And we hope to have you on the podcast again sometime soon. Thanks a lot. This has been great fun. Okay, great. See you, Darlene. Talk soon. (laughs) Bye.
That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Inter Alia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon.